figure it out. Yeah, you'll catch me. Thanks, Mark. That's great. I love that song. I, I did, how many of you knew or recognized He Giveth More Grace? How many of you recognize that old, old hymn? I remember the first time I ever sang that. It was I was a brand new preacher here. I was a new pastor, just what, 20, 25 years old, I suppose. And um, we were going to uh, uh, Ruth Douglas's home with her husband. Her husband was dying of cancer. And we decided to suspend our weekly prayer meeting, our Wednesday night prayer meeting. Instead, we just had services over at their home and prayed with Bill right beside his bedside and worshiped. And for the first time, we sang, or for the first time for me, we sang that song. I'll never forget that moment. One, because I fell in love with the song, He giveth and He giveth and He giveth again. At the very moment when we need Him, He's there. But secondly, just because it was that moment, I started really feeling like I was the pastor of this church. It was such an intimate time when we were together, loving each other, praying about a dear saint who was just days uh, from going home with the Lord and knowing that his grace was sufficient. His grace covers all our sin. And, and so thank you, Tim, for, for sharing that with us again today. We'll have to sing it again. I want you to become familiar with that. Well, I invite you right now to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where we are going to begin a new series of messages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin here with verse 1. I invite you to stand with me as we receive God's word together. This is the Apostle Paul, and he writes to the Corinthians these words. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, as you know, and maybe some of you have taken in, we have in our culture what is called the, the summer uh, blockbuster. Uh, a few weeks ago now, I stole away to the theater with my son Caleb, and we went to see Spider-Man Far Away From Home. Any of you caught that flick? Uh, a few of you. Okay. Well, it was, it was actually pretty good. But it occurred to me as I was watching it, of course, that when it comes to superhero movies, it really is always about saving the world. Now, what's interesting about movies like that is, yes, it's about the end of the world or the possibility, the fact that we are all in jeopardy, but you always know how this is going to end. 
I mean, how many movies have you seen where the world actually does end? The, the villain wins, the, the bomb goes off, the bad guys end up in control. That is never the end of the story. It's interesting to me, it's really not in our psyche to write stories like that. We wouldn't pay to, to, to see movies like that. And yet you do realize, don't you, this world is going to end. And by the way, that's not necessarily bad news. And whether we're actually there or not, we know with certainty that our world, at least as we know it, is going to cease when Jesus Christ returns. And so we will all have this, this, this natural interest in knowing what's next, what occurs after that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, he has set eternity in our hearts. In other words, anyone who has ever lived has this natural desire to know what happens when we die. Is there life after death? Is there a hell? What about heaven? How do we get there? What are we going to do there? And, and, of course, some of you are thinking when you think about heaven, is it just like a church service that never ends? Now, no offense, but for some of you, that would seem an awful lot like hell, wouldn't it, rather than, than heaven. But what happens when we die? A few years ago, uh, a book came out, and then it was made into a movie called Heaven is for Real. Some of you have probably seen the movie or read the book. It's the story of a three-year-old who experiences heaven and then comes back. He conveys those images and scenes to his mother and father. He meets certain people, and so they write a, a very interesting book. And I will say, it is interesting reading and interesting to think about. Another book I'm aware of is by a cardiologist named Maurice Rawlings, and it's called Beyond Death's Door. This book described one patient who walked into the office, had a heart attack right there, and while trying to resuscitate him, he came to. And he yelled, I'm in hell. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't you understand? Each time you quit, I go back there. Don't let me go back. Well, remarkably, the patient survives. He repents of his sin. And as you would assume, he becomes a Christian. Now, it's a rather popular theme in a lot of books today, and you've probably heard of the similar nature of those books, and I find them interesting. They can even be inspiring, but they can also be contradictory. And in fact, some contradict the clear teaching of Scripture. So we have to be careful. There, there's much that we don't know. But do you know that the fact is that the Scripture does peel back some of the mystery of what is to come? And the Bible is clear that we can be confident in what the Scripture has revealed to us about what is going to happen next. So, so this morning, I want us to begin to look at this topic about what's next, about heaven, about hell, as we conclude our summer. It's going to be interesting, and I hope that you'll be a part and will, will join me in these next few weeks. But the first thing I want to discuss with you is rather foundational, and it's simply this. I want you to know that the Bible teaches our spirits, when we die, will separate from our bodies. Your, your spirit will separate from this physical body. In other words, your body will die, but you will continue to live. That's what the Bible teaches. 
Now, of course, today there are those who might be called naturalists who are going to say, ah, that's, that's not true. No, look, this life is all there is. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no God. This is it. Once you expire here, you cease to exist. And of course, that has amazing ramifications on how you live life. If that's your philosophy, if that's what you believe to be true, it's going to impact how you live. Because you're going to decide to live for right now. You're going to enjoy what you can while you can. And so you decide to live for today because there may not be a tomorrow. I would suggest to you that that is a prevailing philosophy in our culture today. Live for today, get what you can, there's nothing more. But that is not the Bible's view of life. The Bible teaches that we are body, spirit, and soul. Now, I want to suggest to you that to some degree we experience this. For instance, if you lose an arm or a leg due to amputation, if, if your appendix is removed, you're still you. The essence of you is still your experience. You're still there. I've, I've read that the body, in fact, replaces all of your cells. The cells in your body are replaced every 7 to 10 years. So think about that. Physically speaking, you are a different person physically every 7 to 10 years. But you're still you. Here's a picture of a handsome fellow in the kindergarten, about five years old. I think he was enjoying his uh, five-year birthday party. Anyone want to take a guess who that is? That was Jeff Schultz. Yeah, that's right. Now, you'll notice that the cake is spelled wrong. My mom never learned to spell my name right, and uh, so I don't know. But, you know, the, the amazing thing is I still remember that moment. I remember being surprised by the cake because I loved the stagecoach. And then I got to play with the stagecoach after the, after the party was over. And so I remember that. But, but I can't believe that that's, that was me. I don't look like that any longer. Uh, but, but that was me. That was the essence of me. And I still have memories of it. But I'm a different, different person. Paul says in this passage, he reminds us that we inhabit this temporary dwelling called our bodies. And his metaphor is a pretty good one. He talks about our bodies like a tent, a, a, a camping tent. Now, how many of you enjoy camping as a, as a recreation? About, okay, several of you actually. Okay, you, uh, you folks, have you ever heard of a thing called a hotel? And a hotel is... <laughs> got an AC and TV and Wi-Fi and beds and showers and those kinds. Of, they actually have those things that you could stay. But some people, some weird people, choose to, to stay in tents. I don't understand that. But this is by definition what a vacation is. A vacation is a period of time devoted to pleasure, rest, and relaxation. Did you hear that? Vacation is a time, a period of time devoted to pleasure, rest, and relaxation. Camping is defined as a period of time devoted to discomfort, restlessness, and frustration. That's how camping is defined. And yes, that's my definition. That doesn't mean it's true. I think, man, camping is so much work. You, you set up the tent. You sweat. Start a fire, 
hunt for food, kill your food, sweat. The, uh, the tent smells uh, moldy. It sags. Certain parts don't work like they used to. It leaks. It's a tent, for goodness sake. Paul's drawing us a picture. Paul says that our physical bodies are like a tent. They, they start to sag in the middle. Certain parts don't work like they used to. They smell moldy with time. They leak. Can I get a testimony there? That's the idea that Paul is drawing for us. This body of mine is temporary housing for my soul. Our souls live forever, but this body, it's a tent. And so Paul says, did you catch it? For in this tent we groan. We long. I think about the fact that we're in the FLC this morning temporarily. Look around. This is not ideal, is it? I mean, I'm here in the dark. The lighting isn't great. The, the, sound, is, the sound is probably not perfect. Look, we could have at least dusted the walls or something, but... Uh, uh, we're here for a few weeks, and that's the point. I, this would drive me nuts if I didn't know it was temporary. So we're just camping for a few weeks here, okay? That's all we're doing. I remember camping with my folks one time. We only did this once. It was one of the worst nights of our lives. Somehow we ended up next to a tree but as it got dark, that tree, someone explained this to me, it smelled to high heaven. The darker it got, the worse the experience became. And the stink was so incredible. And again, I have no idea what kind of tree it was, but that smell got into our clothes and our hair and into our car. It was with us for days. We had planned to stay two or three days there. We didn't. We just left the next morning. As a family, uh, Mary and I have taken our kids camping one time, 60 years ago. We were going to go for two nights. I think I can stand anything for two nights. Well, we only stayed one night, uh, however, because of rain, you know, water leaking in the tent. In fact, I ended up sleeping that night in the van. I left the kids and Mary all in the tent, all by themselves. I said, enough of this. I'm going to the van. You deal with the bears. You deal with the snakes, whatever. It was biblical. I was groaning all night. And every 10 minutes, I'm thinking, how do people do this? What is fun about this? Are you serious? Are you serious? And of course, all along, I'm thinking, this is just temporary. It's not forever. It's really just a moment, a little bit longer. Paul says, yeah, that's the perspective we should have when it comes to this life. That's the perspective we have when it comes to our bodies. These are just temporary tents. The second thing I, I want you to take away with you this morning is this. When you die, my friend, you'll know your eternal destination. Now, I understand from Scripture there are two possible paths that can be taken. The first is for someone who has chosen not to receive the free gift of salvation offered through faith in Christ. So the Bible teaches that when we die, our bodies die, but our souls, they keep on. And the Bible seems to indicate that those people 
who do not receive the gift of salvation will go to a place referred to in Luke 16 as the word Hades. Hades can be translated at times as hell. But I want you to know that this, this is different than the physical hell that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. Now, we'll talk more about this down the line, but this is a temporary, dark place, the scripture describes, before the judgment. It's certainly hellish. It's described as darkness, of torment, agony, suffering, a place of pain and regret. It's a place that scripture describes as the outside. And what it pictures is, it, it's that place that is outside of God. Wherever God is not, the scriptures define as hell. Wherever God is removed, that becomes, by definition, a hellish place. There, there is a place where souls will go until Jesus returns at the second coming, and their souls will then receive a physical body. That's according to scripture. And we read about the fact that they will stand before the great white throne of judgment, again in Revelation 20. And it says in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was then thrown into the lake of fire. So one of these Sundays down in this uh, series, we'll talk about the reality of hell. We'll turn up the temperature in here and it'll get real warm, okay? We'll, we'll make sure of that. But the other path that we read about in Scripture is for those who have accepted God's gift of eternal life through faith in Christ. And of course, the Bible teaches that for Christians, when we die, we're going to go directly to be with God. Paul said he prefers to be absent from the body so he could be present with the Lord. You remember when Jesus was speaking to the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. But when Jesus returns, the scriptures also indicate that we will then receive a new, physical, resurrected, glorified body for the new heaven and new earth. And the best example of this, if you think about it, is when Jesus died, when Jesus dies on the cross, he says to his father, into, my, into thy hands I commit my spirit. His spirit goes instantly to the Lord. His body is buried in a tomb. Three days later, he receives a new, resurrected, glorified body, a body that walks and talks and eats. It's a, new, it's, a, it's a new, resurrected, glorified body. And one day, that will be true for every one of us. That when Christ returns, we, after we die, will have received that body. Our spirit will go to be with God. Our body may be buried. But when Jesus returns, we will receive a new, glorified body. And I'm looking forward to that. And we will be talking about heaven in the coming weeks. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because most of us know the name uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, I suspect. Johnny has spent, of course, the majority of her life as a paraplegic in a wheelchair. I was so happy to see that she announced just last week that she is cancer-free after battling breast cancer a second time. But she writes about the new body, and she says this. She says, 
One day there will be no more bulging middles or balding tops or varicose veins or crow's feet. No more cellulite or support hose. Forget about the thunder thighs and highway hips. That day is coming. And then I think, you know, I know that she sits in a wheelchair, and so I would just have to add some other things. When that day comes, no more wheelchairs, no more walkers, no more cataracts, no more cancer, no more asthma, no more arthritis, no more diabetes, no more death. Because we're going to have new bodies. As God originally intended at the creation, that will no longer be contaminated by sin. But this is the key, and this is what I want you to think about this morning. When we die, we find that our souls separate from our bodies, but we are with God. We will know our eternal destiny at that point. But I think this is where some of us maybe are confused. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. When Jesus Christ returns as part of the series of that event, there will be a great day of judgment. Paul refers to it here in this passage. Verse 10 he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or bad. Now, you read that, and I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. I'm thinking, this cannot go well. This doesn't sound like much fun. There's going to be a moment when I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want you to know something, and I, I, I know I'm going to be at heaven at this point. I know I'm going to have a relationship with Christ at that point. What is it about standing before God? Now remember this. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen, Amen that's good news. So there's a sense where I think that focus is not going to be on condemnation, not for the, those in Christ, but on grace, but on the goodness of God. Now I want you to know this is according to Jeff Schultz, but it, seems to me that there might be a couple of ways that this works out. One of those ways may be this, that God has no record of our sin. He opens the book and it's absolutely clean. Why? Because Jesus washed it away and our sins are remembered no more. Those sins are gone forever and we are free. But then it occurred to me, you know, maybe to give God glory and to, to, to shine the light of Christ's grace even more, maybe our sins will in some, bay, some way be recounted, but they will not be the focus. The focus will not be on our activity, but on the activity of God. It might be something like this. Uh, my son Micah headed to college this uh, next couple of weeks. He just got a credit card in the, in the mail we had signed him up, he's ready to go. And of course, you know, a credit card's a great thing in some ways and a terrible thing in a lot of ways. And if, you, if you're silly, you go out there and you think, this is great, I spend, spend, spend. But there always comes a day, isn't there? There always comes a day when there, there, there's a day of reckoning. There's a day when you have to pay the bill. Well, let's say for a month or two or three, things are going well. He says, this is fun. Then he hits his limit. Then the creditors start calling and they say they want paid. And they start calling me. And say, there's a bill, and it needs to be paid. 
I said, Micah, what are you doing? Didn't you know? Didn't you know how this worked? He said, no, Dad, I thought this was great. I didn't know what was going on. But I make the decision. I say, Micah, I'm going to pay your bill. It's going to cost me everything. But I'm going to pay that bill for you. I wonder if heaven isn't going to be like this moment when we see the stack. When we see the stack of recounting of, of our failures, our sins, and yet we look at the Lord Jesus and he says, I'm going to pay that bill for you. It's going to be gone. I did this for you. I did this for you. I paid it for you. And over and over again, we'll just in glory say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. My goodness, I don't want you to think about that judgment in a negative sense because think about this. That day may not be a day of condemnation for those in Christ. It may, in fact, be a day of commendation. You know, there's a difference, isn't there? The judge also gives out the, the first place blue ribbon. The judge also gives away the, the medal to put around your neck. The judge will give out the crown and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those who have followed Christ, who have given their lives over to serving him and being obedient, and as the scripture describes, as those who did not love their life even unto death, they will be rewarded on that day. I think that there are going to be a lot of surprises in heaven on that day. And those, those little acts of kindness, those little things that didn't seem to matter much, I think we're going to be revealed for what they really were and how they changed people's lives and transform them. And so this is the point I want to make this morning. What day are you living for? Are you living for today? Or are you living for that day? As Christians, we must keep that day in view. James 4 says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. In my office, I have a little air freshener that, that's battery powered, and every once in a while it senses that it needs some, some, some odor stuff, and so it, it'll spritz out the, uh, the air freshener, and, and, and it's there, and it makes the room smell nice for a moment, but it doesn't last very long, and then it has to, to bring it out again. Our lives are like that. There for a second or two, but then they're gone. I think it was last week, wasn't it, Tim, when you guys sang Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. 10,000 years will seem like nothing compared to all eternity. Think about it. What will 50,000 years feel like? It will be there 50,000 years, and yet we will have only just begun. Now, most of us... Maybe we'll live 80 years here on this earth. 80 years compared to 50,000 years. Or, or obviously a lot more in eternity. But let's just take 50,000 years. If you do the math, our time of existence at 50,000 years compared to our time of existence here on this earth would be 0.16%. In other words, we would have lived 0.16% of our existence with the 50,080 years that we lived on this earth. 0.16% of our existence would be here in the body on this earth. Did, do you, are you following me? Pastor, you just said there wouldn't be math, and I, was, I wasn't aware that I had to do that. 
you understand what I'm saying? I'm not doing a very good job of it, but such an infinitesimal amount that we spend here on this earth. And such a large, large eternity ahead of us. What are we going to live for? Are we going to live for today? Are we going to live for then? What you do, however, with this 0.16% matters. Whether good or bad. The Bible says that this is eternal life. That they who know the Father and the one whom he has sent, his Son. When you know him, you have eternal life. If you don't know him, you don't. Do you know him today? Do you have a relationship with the living God? Are you confident as confident can be that your sins are forgiven? You see, so what we do now matters. It's the only Thing that matters. It's not about living for now. It's about living for eternity. Let me just say, listen, if you're not a Christian, if you're not confident that you know Jesus, I want to invite you to, to find that confidence. I want you to know with certainty I'm looking forward to shedding this tent and spending eternity with Christ. If you are a Christian, I say, be the kind of person that rejoices and lives like it and gives away their life for him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you. I thank you for this moment that we have together. I thank you for this reminder from Paul that, Lord, we dwell in a temporary tent. We're not to be here forever, but we are meant to be forever with you. But, Lord, that forever starts right now. Eternal life comes when we come to know you. If there is someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you would open their hearts. I pray that you would awaken their spirits. And they would say yes to the gift of salvation. That they would say yes to the gift of eternal life. So that, Lord, one day this circle would not be broken. That every person here would be gathered together one time in heaven where we would sing and rejoice at the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for shedding your blood. Thank you, Lord, that through you, Lord, our sins can be forgiven and are counted against us no more. Lord, even today we proclaim that we live in view of that day of judgment where, Lord, we will not need to fear condemnation, but, Lord, may we live our lives for commendation we experience where we experience the grace of knowing that Lord we've served you faithfully I pray this in your holy and precious name Amen